Welcome back to heavyweights. Now that affirmative action is gone, white people are finally allowed to go to college in America. I'm Sam Mangle-Lennett. And I'm John Rigolizzo. And I got into this show by telling people how uh, my race affected my life. And our special guest is... Armin Salui. Pleased to be with you guys. Yes, Armin's here. It's an absolute party. It's an absolute heavyweights party. Thanks for coming on, bud. So if I understand correctly, you have a pretty fun story about affirmative action from back in the day. I do. I do. So um, we'll go all the way back long, long time ago, like 2019. feels like ancient history right now. Um, it was, uh, let's see, it, was, it would have been like the spring of 2019, my junior year, University of Washington, was uh, recently elected the uh, the president of the college Republicans there on campus. And we'd already kind of been making a name for ourselves throughout the uh, the Trump era. You know, we, we were kind of living in the, uh, the UC Berkeley shadow a little bit. You know, they just they got better name wreck than we do. But I think we were doing probably just as good as stuff, maybe better. And uh, we've done a lot of big events and stuff over the last few years. Uh, we got Milo Yiannopoulos before they got Milo Yiannopoulos. And somebody got shot when he came to campus when we had him. So <laughs> that's that never happened fan. in Berkeley. Uh, and then um, we had this, uh, we did like a big free speech rally on campus and the school tried to shut it down and charge us like exorbitant security fees. I think eventually they were trying to ask for like $70,000 to cover security at the event. And uh, it was total, it, it was total BS. And uh, eventually we got a lawyer and ended up settling out of court. Uh, they, uh, they covered the legal fees. Uh, the president of the club at the time got a nice, uh, nice little piece of change too. So uh, worked out. We, uh, we the event went off without a hitch. Uh, they would always say, "Oh, it's going to bring violence to campus. The Proud Boys are coming." And uh, we had actually uh, to the people who aren't familiar to kind of like specifically Northwest, we had our own like different group that was very kind of similar to the Proud Boys called Patriot Prayer. They, uh, they they would do stuff like Seattle, Portland, mostly. I think a little bit down in California, but pretty much like Seattle and Portland. And uh, it, it was the same kind of idea, same same like kind of cast of characters you'd expect from the Proud Boys, uh, except they had this one uh, just enormous Samoan dude who's named Tiny, very ironically. <laughs> and uh, actually, and then there was this clip from from that day where we had the uh, the Freedom Rally where he was leaving campus and he was like two or three blocks off campus and he was like walking through this alleyway. And got ambushed by like a handful of Antifa, and he just beat the shit out of him. And it got caught on oh video. It, it went super viral at the time. It was hilarious. But a- a- anyways, that was a, a little bit off topic. We just kind of set in the scene for what we've been doing. So we were already, uh, you know, some real uh, troublemakers as far as uh, everyone on campus was concerned. And uh, so this is a uh, spring in 2019. The uh, there's a, an initiative coming up on the ballot that fall in Washington on uh, affirmative action. And it was uh, in, I want to say 1999, uh, there was a, a ballot initiative that uh, had prohibited affirmative action in Washington. So it was, it was already illegal. And they were trying to have a new initiative to overturn that ban and allow affirmative action. And uh, we as the club decided like, hey, you know, it'd be fun. We got to do something about affirmative action. We got to do some kind of event. And we were like, oh, uh, we'll do a bake sale. Because we'd heard, I think it was like a relatively common event that like you know some other things have done i think that actually there used to be this like chapter handbook that like the national college republicans would like send out to all of the uh, affiliates of like uh, approved events and like what you can do and it was written in like like 2000 or something approved like that, events. Early 2000s. yeah and one of them was the affirmative action bake sale so we we're like all right you know what let's do it that'll be fun <laughs> we, did, we didn't really think it was gonna be that big of a deal 
And uh, so we uh, one day we set up in the um, in the main uh, in the quad, uh, just kind of like next to one of the libraries. Put up a uh, nice canopy, American flag canopy, of course. Um, and yeah. just have a table uh, full of uh, store bought cookies. We want to do home baked, but the uh, the had a whole bunch of rules about like oh, if it's home baked, you can't do it. It's got to be store bought. So it was like oh, just a plate full of or a bunch of plates of, like store bought cookies. And uh, we put up a banner. I, uh, I I posted it actually in a, a tweet today too, a, a picture of the banner, and it had the prices listed out. And like as you go down the list, it gets cheaper. So like most expensive was Asian. I think it was like a dollar fifty if you're Asian, a uh, dollar if you're white, uh, and then like fifty cents if you're black or Hispanic, and then like uh, twenty five cents or something if you're Native American, and then like knocking another twenty five cents off if you're a woman. And it's it, it's like a, you know it's it's it's, a, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's a pretty good analogy, right, for affirmative action that essentially. You know, based on how many identity categories you can check off, you you get a better deal. And oh boy, did we get a big response! So uh, the black it was actually primarily led by like the Black Student Union and like the the BLM people on on campus. They showed up and they just surrounded the table. There's probably like 100, 200 people there, and they're all yelling and shouting. One of them runs up and tries to like flip the table and like spill all the cookies everywhere. And uh, actually, luckily, one of the the campus PD quickly like grabbed him and dragged him away. So you know, right to jail, right lever, to jail. Lever Can't boys in blue. Can't mess with the big yeah. kids. We love our cops. Uh, sometimes, uh, but <laughs> um, and then uh, and anyways. We uh, it, it, it's going pretty well. It's it's pretty it's contentious. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of screaming, but nothing really got too physical. And actually, uh, even one of the uh the professors on campus who he, he's a libertarian, so I would consider him a, a, a sometimes friend. I'm not a huge uh, not a huge libertarian guy. You guys you guys know this. I'm not a not a big fan of libertarians. But this guy he was pretty cool because he would always he'd always stick up for us on campus. And uh, his name was uh, Stuart Regis. He was a computer science lecturer. And I had actually at one point been like the uh, the chairman of the Libertarian Party nationwide, hmm. That's which I cool. had no idea at the yeah. time. And uh, he came and he started arguing with a bunch of these black students about uh, affirmative action. And they were the, the students were incredibly ignorant of the law and just what affirmative action is in general. They not only did they not know affirmative action was illegal, they were all claiming that they got into school because of affirmative action, which feels like a bit of a cell phone. I wouldn't, even if I thought it, I wouldn't say it. Yeah. I would, I would have break about that. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so that was, that was fun. And, um, then as, uh, as the events going on, I start, uh, my, my phone starts buzzing a little bit and I start checking, seeing what's going on. Cause I had like, um, Google alert set up to, uh, let me know, like when some people were talking about the club and I start seeing news stories popping up about uh racist bake sale on campus. And uh, all of like the local lefty papers, there's one in Seattle called The Stranger, which is like the like hardcore left wing newspaper. Um, mo- the, it's like half ads for like gay hookers. And then the other half is just like uh, left wing political stuff. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it goes with the territory. Um, but uh, anyway, so they, they start talking about it. And then like all like the regular local news, like the local CBS station, local NBC, all that stuff. They're They're writing about it. And then these, I, uh, I, I, I ran out of time before, but I was going to try to use the um, Internet Archive to find because I know AOC and Sean King both tweeted about it and then later deleted it. Ooh. So I was going to try to track down these tweets after the show. I might uh, I might do it and find it um, if I if I can. I'll send them to you guys. But they were they were calling out me like this racist big sale. And I think the, the the funniest thing about it is that everyone who is getting all butthurt about the event 
just completely missed the point entirely that it just, the, the nuance of it went over their heads that yes, the whole point of the bake sale is that we are discriminating and we think that's wrong. And it's an analogy for, for affirmative action. And none of them seem to understand it, despite me. Uh, at one point, you know, I was talking very, very slowly, using <laughs> as the simplest language I could, you know, like two syllables like, at most. You know, exactly. No big words, trying to, you know, make the point. And it really didn't go over well. They just got louder and louder. And, it, you know, but in the end, we won. The uh, the ballot initiative failed. Affirmative action remained illegal in Washington, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, that, for sure. uh, But uh, actually, I think the next year in 2020, they had uh, essentially the same thing going on in California where they were trying to overturn their ban on affirmative action and uh, it failed. So even in blue states, it's not popular whenever it's actually put to a vote. There's a lot of issues like that where right. if you ever actually put them to a vote, they're really unpopular. So they have to be enforced uh, basically judicially. And uh, thankfully, we got some three based justices on the Supreme Court, thanks to President Trump, who, uh, oh, you know, made their ruling today and uh, affirmative action. No more. Very excited. Yeah, it was interesting how this was a rare John Roberts based moment like he didn't completely yeah we got anti-vra roberts we couldn't get him on the actual voting issue but we got him on affirmative action right which i don't know what that says about his personal beliefs but i know i'm glad he uh glad he went the right way on this one um it was interesting i forget the exact quote um i'll try and pull it up real quick but i thought he was making a reference to christopher caldwell in one of in part of the opinion um yeah like i thought it was like he made a um you know let me pull this up real quick um yeah so he goes uh that is a remarkable view of the judicial role remarkably wrong lost in the false pretense of judicial humility that the dissent espouses is a claim to power so radical so destructive that it that it required a second founding to undo so, second founding that yeah. that sounds like caldwell to me and uh you know caldwell i uh i, I like the guy his book was great i felt it felt like it was kind of unfinished though but like I got to the end of it and I'm like, wait, this is the end. Like right. I thought he was going to, I feel like it was kind of missing a conclusion. Like it was a, here's all the problems with all of the, you know, civil rights legislation of the sixties. And then that was it. Also he did give me COVID. So I, I <laughs> that told too, that yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah you guys remember this. Yeah. Yes. The COVID pandemic of, of Publius 2022 was started by Christopher Caldwell. I yeah, we probably should have told yeah. people how we all know each other, but at the start, but Armin was part of our uh, fellowship class this past summer. And Armin, would you like to dox where you work? Oh yeah, sure. I uh, I guess I didn't give much of an intro. So uh, my official title: I'm a chief of staff at a uh, nonprofit called uh, American Studio. Uh, it's run by Christopher Rufo. Uh, so I essentially I'm I'm his chief of staff. I uh, manage all the stuff behind the scenes for him, whether that's you know uh, relationships with legislators media events logistics all that kind of stuff i'm the uh i'm i'm, I'm the man behind the curtain so to speak so the consigliere uh, yeah exactly the, the, the yeah, that's in my twitter bio I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm i'm his consigliere and uh he'll come to me you know if he's got uh if he's got problems he needs advice he needs something done the house that the needs guy. painting would you say that you're his go-to guy his guy that he goes to when he needs a problem solve his top guy perhaps perhaps yeah i'm his top guy <laughs> Hell yeah, brother! Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's a it's a great job, and actually, uh, it's kind of a 
funny story uh, in in how I got that job too. So um, you you guys don't mind if I just ramble here a little bit? Oh, I feel by like all means, I'm go the ahead. I, uh, yeah, yeah. The floor is mine. The floor is uh, yours. Senator. So, anyways, I um, so when I, uh, I I I went to school at University of Washington. I already talked about that, and uh, I ended up graduating like right in the middle when everything shut down for COVID. And like my last quarter was online. I graduated in summer 2020 in the middle, in the summer of Floyd and uh, had no idea what the hell to do. I, uh, everything was shut down. I had like some like uh, interviews and stuff lined up for like after graduation and all that got canceled. Moved back home with my family and was like totally just kind of floating. I was like, ah, I don't know what I was supposed to do. And actually the, uh, the college activism plays into this too, that at the time, I was pretty young and naive, and I didn't realize that this stuff was going to follow me like it did. <laughs> so that it, it's gotten a little bit better since. But uh, at the time, if you Googled me, you would just get page after page after page of like mostly local Seattle media, but some national stuff, even like Newsweek, where they would just write these nasty things about me being like, oh, he runs the UW College Republicans. They're a white supremacist hate group, and they are the Proud Boys, and blah blah blah. And it just they write horrible things about me, you know. And so I was, I, 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 I was a little dejected. I was like, oh shit, what am I supposed to do? And then um, I'm scrolling through Twitter one day, just sitting at home, not really knowing what to do. And I stumble across a tweet from from Rufo, and he's like, hey, I'm looking to hire a new assistant. Uh, submit your resumes here and with uh, with a cover letter. So I uh, I wrote up a nice little cover letter just talking about what I was doing in college and um, threw my hat in the ring. And I didn't hear back for a couple of weeks. And I was like, all right, well, probably didn't get that job either. And then um, out of the blue, uh, email comes in saying he wanted to he wanted to have an interview with me. I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'm still in the still in the hunt. And um, I think I nailed it. First interview, got the offer right there, that in there on the spot. And um, I uh, later find out this is uh, his wife actually told me this story like after I'd already been working there for like a year. She told me the story of how like how, what happened in those like intervening two weeks between when I like applied and actually got the job. So I guess his uh, my predecessor who was leaving to go to law school had uh, been reviewing the applications and gave him a bunch of other people. I didn't didn't include me in the uh, in the, the first batch of candidates and uh, he didn't like any of them. And his wife actually told him that, uh, well, hey, why don't you go look at the other uh, the other applicants and just see uh, see if any of them jump out to you? And I guess he was going through the uh, going through the folder and was like, oh, I like this guy because he wanted uh, he wanted it was right when the uh, the big uh, CRT panic was really pick, uh, picking up, and he was in like constant like war mode, just fighting the media all the time. And he's like, I need somebody who's battle tested. I need somebody. Right who's not afraid of hit pieces. I need somebody who can like, you know, go to bat for me if the Washington Post comes and uh, start telling lies. And that was, I guess, what made me uniquely qualified. That I uh, I was certainly not afraid of uh, mixing it up with the media because I, I, I kind of felt like I had nothing to lose at that point. So not for sure. It, uh, it worked out great. And then actually, he's the one who recommended that I uh, that I do Publius too. So I wouldn't know you guys without that either. So and we all live thanks happily the, ever uh, after. Thanks to the boss man. That's why I'm here today. Big ups to Chris Rufo. We're fans. Um, but you, you make an interesting point that I think is really understated. That the importance of like being battle tested and actually being... You have to be fearless when you deal with the media. Because they will ruin you. They are actually evil. They want to destroy you. 
like I think this is an important distinction between Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of both gentlemen, obviously, for the most part of Kavanaugh. Um, but when Clarence Thomas went through his confirmation with the Anita Hill stuff, and it, when it was, you know, a, a public lynching, as he said, uh, or rather a high tech lynching, he didn't even break a sweat. He didn't fold at all. He was just there rock solid. And then you have Kavanaugh, who is just granted, you know, they were calling him a gang rapist in front of his kids. So it's going to make any man livid and like the uh, heartbroken. Um, he snapped, oh, didn't snap, but you know, there was a lot more emotional. Um, he was tapping into emotional waters there. And I think that's an interesting thing that may or may not be reflected in their jurisprudence. Uh, Glenn Elmer's made this point at Publius, I believe, where it's the difference in their upbringings really and how it forged like their wills probably also has an impact on their jurisprudence and how they interpret law and deal with those institutions. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm, absolutely. And um, yeah, actually I, I think it was, it might've been Elmer's at the same time, but somebody, I, I didn't know until we were uh, at Publius last year that Clarence Thomas grew up as like a Catholic. Not only was he black, and Catholic in like the rural, rural deep South growing up in like the fifties. But like that, that probably ain't easy. Nah, not at all. It might've been Morel. Oh, it might've been, it was, it, it was, it was definitely somebody that was talking about that. And like, I didn't know. I, I assumed he was probably like uh evangelical or something. I yeah. didn't, I didn't know he was Catholic. Well, I know, for, I know for like for a while he was considering the, considering the priesthood, but like, you're absolutely right to be a black man in the mid-century in the south who's catholic that's you know that's, yeah, you're, you're, speaking of intersectionality you know that's i was uh, gonna say you are you are two minorities that are heavily discriminated against at that time oh yeah no i think um if i had to rank the uh the justices these days i'd go thomas and alito are you know one a one b for sure and then there's like a, a distant there's a, there's a pretty big gap i like the other i like the other conservative justices particularly the ones trump put on roberts and uh, i don't know roberts uh, is, roberts is roberts he's probably he's probably six even in, in the rankings there even yeah. even the trump justices i it's, just, it's, yeah. it's hard to fully defend them all the time because you know gorsuch yeah. with there's that Bostock always, opinion everybody really has opened a can of worms yeah, everybody has a weird thing. Uh, Gorsuch was Bostock. Uh, what was was Barrett? Um, Barrett wasn't Bruin. She had a weird take on Bruin. I'm trying to think which one she had a weird take on last year. And then Kavanaugh also had a weird take on, um, I think on on Bruin or on Dobbs. Yeah, I'm not a. Uh, I'm certainly no expert on uh, SCOTUS cases, but. As far as I, as far as I know, they've all uh, they have all had some interesting uh, sort of contrarian takes that uh, that I, I I wouldn't necessarily have expected from them, given their you know reputation and how highly recommended they came from the uh, conservative legal establishment. But I you know actually now that I say that I'm, I'm not that surprised. It's the conservative <laughs> and if legal establishment. Wrong, if I'm wrong about that, somebody watching this, please correct me because like I don't remember Barrett was either the fire breather. Or the squish on Bruin, or something like that. No well, middle ground. We'll figure out one of these days. Yeah, we'll get it right. A- anyways, the point being, it's it's Thomas and Alito by a mile. Are, oh yeah, uh, they're yeah. they're they are just top notch. And hey, they were the only ones who wanted to hear the twenty twenty election case either. So right, which 
you know, maybe we should just put like a Dan Bongino on the Supreme Court at this point. But it, so if they could put Katanji Brown Jackson, we can throw, you know, I don't know. Who could we throw on there? Honestly, I think they're, I'm like interested Josh in Hammer. <laughs> yeah. If you guys want to go, uh, Real uh, tinfoil hat. You know, she was the uh, DC judge who oversaw the uh, the Pizzagate trial. She was the, uh, hmm. the guy who uh, the guy who brought that gun into Comet Ping Pong. She's the uh, she's the judge who oversaw that trial. Made sure huh. uh, made sure that story went away. <laughs> Might be something there for the more conspiratorial minded. But yeah, if we got uh, any uh, if we got any schizos in the audience, you guys do some digging. <laughs> do some digging, please. Um, but I, you know, I'm interested in the potential, I don't think it's going to happen at this point. Um, but when there was this whole hoopla of, you know, Trump, uh, nominating people, someone for the first time when he nominated Gorsuch, uh, Mike Lee's name got brought up, uh, Senator Mike Lee. And personally, it used to be kind of the norm where people would go between offices all the time. Like you would be a member of the house, then be in someone's cabinet then a senator, then a governor, then find, then become a judge for some reason, um, just because of like political patronage. Um, then I'm not saying patronage is good or bad necessarily, but I, I think it, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a patronage enjoyer. I'll put that out. I think we need more patronage on our side. No, I, I tend to agree. I think it's you need to reward your friends at the end of the day is what it comes that's down true. to. If it, when society weaponizes against you, you have to have each other's back. And that's really all there is to it. Um, when all of corporate America is weaponizing against red America, who else is going to support you? You need your network. Um, but I think there's something to the idea of having someone like Mike Lee on the Supreme Court where he's young. We know his political bona fides and we know he has a very public record in the public eye, whereas a judge doesn't necessarily. So from a political perspective, I think it makes more sense in a lot of ways where you know where this guy stands, you can trust him. And he's also a, like a complete nerd. You know, in, I, I've, are, I've done, are we bullying him right now? No, no, no. It's not a bad thing. But like, you know, in, in some of the stuff that I wrote about, because I wrote a couple stories about him for Daily Wire. And I remember watching him on the Sunday shows a couple of times. He knows like really obscure legal provisions that have that are like weirdly related to current events. There was one that's the one that stuck out to me. I don't can't remember when it was, but it was a couple months ago. He talked about this like obscure trade provision. I'm going to pull it up actually. This we is should start point. Yeah. All right, so to uh to avoid dead air here, yeah. I um I I have it on good authority that uh in private Mike Lee is even more based than he lets on in public. Dude, Dude at, at yeah. based Mike Lee his Twitter account is the best, like the literal best. It is. I for the longest time I didn't actually think it was him. I thought it was just yeah. you know one of those like <laughs> satire Yeah, one of those like political stan accounts. You know, like you get like a X like random like wonk politician stan account. Yeah. That uh, I I just kind of assumed based Mike Lee was just somebody who's like a you know like some Mormon dude from Utah who just really liked Mike Lee. Yeah. But it turned out no, it was some Mormon dude from Utah who. Is Mike Lee <laughs> the best of both worlds? Got the Mormon man from Utah who happens to be the man. Um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a Mike Lee enjoyer. I'm a, yes, yeah. I'm a very much he's Mike he's Lee he's he's certainly the better uh, of the senators from Utah. I mean, absolutely, the bar is pretty low with with Romney 
as the other one. But. Yeah, it's still it still is so messed up to me how Romney like endorsed McMullen over Mike Lee Red, just because they're friends. Oh, yeah. States. That's that's nuts. I honestly I, I I get it because of the whole Mormon thing, but it felt really like just like Mike Lee's Mormon to me too. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm getting to making a different point. That it felt just like so slimy to me that Romney, right? His dad is governor of Michigan, and then he ends up being the governor of Massachusetts, and now he's a senator from Utah. That like after losing feel... the Republican presidential race, or after losing yeah. to Obama in 2012. Yeah, it just doesn't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't really sit right to me. The right that like he basically comes from this political royalty. And is just gonna move, just gonna move states, and uh, you know, just keep taking office where he goes. I mean, it's kind of like the the Hillary Clinton thing, right? That like the Clintons are ostensibly from Arkansas, and then she goes and becomes a senator from New York. Yeah, what's that about? I hate that. It's like you said, it's it's, it's these dynasties who just mm-hmm. buy their way into power, mm-hmm. and yeah. to a certain extent, you know, that's how things have always worked. I'm not naive enough to think that that politics are immune from. You know, influence peddling. That's just not how civilization operates. But for all for all no, that but- we like, for all that we masturbate to, like the will of the people, it's so usurped constantly, solely just by rich mm-hmm. neoliberal hacks who want to see their name in the headlines. Exactly, and I honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm. It's kind of paradoxical, right? That like I, I definitely lean populist when it comes to like actual policies, but. My understanding of politics is that, I mean, it's it's ultimately dictated by the elites. I want better elites and I want local elites. Yeah. That, like, I feel like, you know, uh, I mean, this goes back to what is it? The uh, the 17th Amendment with the direct election senators. Can, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's 17. Right? That's right. Yeah. The literal worst. 17, yeah. 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 Where the, uh, the the way the Senate used to work is that it essentially the local elites would get together. And because, you know, they'd have a ton of influence in the state house, and then they would send representatives to Washington where, you know, the, the the senator from my home state, Washington, would be, you know, some elite or local elite from Washington who's representing the interests of his own state, where now it feels like basically all of the, the senators are just like carbon copies of each other. And there's really yeah. not much of a distinction between, you know, the Senator from Missouri and the Senator from Arkansas and the Senator from North Dakota that like, they all feel very interchangeable. And the, right, on a practical level, no, because Missouri has given us Josh Hall. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, they, and, and actually, and Eric Schmidt, they, they, yes. they, they have good senators now. Meanwhile, but, Arkansas, Missouri, bad example. I, those are just exactly. like some states that came Arkansas, to mind. But the, okay. The uh, but the the, the the I think the principle still kind of stands right. Yeah. That these mm-hmm. you could essentially mix and match these senators from all these different right. states, and nothing would really change all that much. It's just a they're they're, they're they're all they're they're all owned by the same national elite donor class. Right. That they're not they're not representing their states. They're representing the like the the elite nationwide. And yeah. beyond like the donor class point, it's just a the institution of the Senate is now just a special House of Representatives. The entire purpose has been thrown out the thrown out the window with the Seventeenth Amendment. Right. If there's no one, if there's no institution directly advocating for the states at the federal level, then the whole exercise in federalism kind of explicitly falls apart. Yeah. Sure, you can say like, oh yeah, we'll we'll take your interests into account, but we've seen time and time again that is not the case because it was a special interest thing at the time. 
you know, uh, Rich Barris wrote about this in his book, uh, Our Virtuous Republic is his book. And he talked about this on a podcast a while ago. When the Senate, when the 17th Amendment was being passed, it was run by like the labor unions and the corporation. It was run by, you know, it was big business. Yeah, it, it was it was one influence. of the progressive era amendments. Yeah, it was right, a big was TR point. Era, yeah. That was just what was going on was, was yeah. the collaboration between state and, and corporate power. So, of course, it, you know, you know, needs must. Well, I mean, no, yeah, I, 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 see, I see your point, but uh, to circle back to like the wanting a good elite, I think that's a very populist point because at the end of the day, who, like, like you said, who drives the needle? It's, it is the elites. And despite how I think it's safe to say all three of us are very populist by inclination, um, if the elite is disordered, the entire nation will be disordered. Like look at beyond politics, look at our culture, look at our celebrities. You have that botched science experiment sam smith dressing up as satan and saying he saying he wants to be is, a- uh and i can, can i say this on the orgy though or on the podcast that he's doing like piss orgies basically that that's what uh, his music video was what it was yeah. an implied it, it was 100 that's what it was implied he's what? out there dancing around in like these tiny little shorts and like his like mesh shirt and people are like spraying champagne bottles on him okay 100 percent yeah that, yeah, yeah. You can, cut, you, you can cut that part if it's uh, no, no. You're fine. For, you're, you're fine. It's audience, like, it, but... it, it can stay in. It's, it's... <laughs> all right. We're all right. Not. But yeah, this, this is a safe space. Leave in the part about it's... the piss orgies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, frankly, disgusting. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. It's a, it's, it's a. What, what was uh, what, what was Sam Hyde's uh, take on it? That the the culture is a sewer, and I couldn't agree yeah. more. The culture yeah. is a sewer. It absolutely and, is. Um, but getting back to the whole sort of uh, elite-driven politics thing, you can look back throughout history too, and that like almost every successful populist movement yeah. ends up being a revolt from within the elite class. Yeah, Trump, like, Vance, uh, Ramaswamy. It's yeah, you can the see American the, uh, Revolution. Yeah, you can see. I mean, yeah, hey, they were all some of the wealthiest guys in the country, and it was a, yep. a revolt among the elite class. But I mean, if you, if you go back further, even in like antiquity, right, with the the populares versus the optimates in uh, in Rome, uh, Caesar and Pompey and Crassus, when they formed the first triumvirate, it was the richest man in the country or the richest man in the empire, the most powerful general in the empire, and this young upstart politician. And they were basically all running on the populist platform of, no, we want land redistribution. We basically want a fair deal for the Roman citizen. And their opposition were the entrenched senatorial elites. So, and, and the Gracchi before them, too. Yeah, exactly. The, the, and, uh, or yeah, something a little more recent, uh, you know, the, the, the French Revolution. How did it end? Napoleon, he was a, a backbench aristocrat. And uh, got, he, he eventually enough. had enough. He restored order. The any successful populist movement eventually basically needs to uh, co-opt a segment of the elites right. who realize that the the established regime is no longer sustainable. That yeah. it's on a course that's going to lead to destruction and, and chaos, and they need to correct correct course. So they uh, they align themselves with the populace and. I I I think you're right that we we're seeing the the beginning of that today, and um, my uh, my favorite losing candidate from 2022, Blake Masters. I feel like he fits into that perfectly. Yeah, I mean, there he is. He is like a quintessential Silicon Valley tech elite who had, in in my opinion, I mean, between him and Vance, had kind of the most sophisticated populist platform. 
And it's a, it's a real shame he lost. And I, I have a feeling he'll be back at some point. I hope I, so. Yeah, I think he will. Uh, he's he's too young and too important. I think to the future of the movement to fully fade away into the into the shadows. Um, I also think he's involved with the RNC in some level with like figuring out how to um, ballot harvest. But no, I agree. He was his I loss mean, was yeah no his, his loss was very unfortunate. Um, and I uh, I gotta say I have a personal bias too. I did get a chance to meet him at a fundraiser one time hmm. and gave him some unsolicited advice. And you know what? He was receptive. He Ooh. let me talk to him for like five whole minutes, just giving him advice. And he just smiled and nodded and agreed. I mean, I, you know, he's a good politician, so he's going to do that anyways. But hey, none of the other uh, none of the other candidates were willing to take unsolicited advice from me. Yeah, Fair point. Did, were you, did you tell him to like the to, to do the video where he's like, this is a gun. I use it to kill people. Was that was that, <laughs> was that from you? No comment. No comment. But uh <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh no, that's that's <laughs> no, no, that 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 one wasn't me. But I, uh, I, I, I wasn't giving him specific like uh, marketing strategy. I was more giving him uh, advice on uh, well, the platform more broadly. So right. I'm uh, telling him not to say a lot of fun. He voted with Joe Biden ninety percent of the time or whatever. Yeah, well, also, that, like I gotta say one, that one. No, that's my that one. one I, on on Masters. Was that saying. one felt like. Uh, that one felt kind of like a broken record. You guys remember yeah. in um, 2016 when um, Marco Rubio got absolutely destroyed by yes, uh, Chris, Christie Chris Christie for yeah. for doing the uh, the the. the but let's pretend Barack and, Obama didn't know what he's doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, shut up. And <laughs> I was that was that was hilarious. And you know, know. maybe we can see a uh, maybe we'll see a Chris Christie redemption arc at some point, but. I think Chris that's. I don't know if how. he will. He's. I think he's running a kamikaze campaign. He, yes, absolutely. He has, right now, he has to know. Oh like yeah, that's the only. He's pulling pretty only well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's he's pulling pretty well. He's pulling third in some states, but at the time of recording, he's pulling pretty well. Rather, um, who's to say when this will release? Um, but the whole point is solely just to spoil Trump, and he's even throwing shots at DeSantis. So see, I think he's gonna actually siphon more votes from DeSantis than yeah, one hundred percent. And so there, there, that seems like the dynamic. That seems like the dynamic that we've seen over the last. Uh, we're recording this what June June twenty ninth. Yeah. Uh, that we've seen over the last month or so now that DeSantis has been in the race. Yeah. That the more of these sort of incredible, I don't even want to call them long shot candidates because they're no shot candidates. But I feel like the more of them get in the race, the harder it is for DeSantis rather than easier that like they're the trump's got this like solid like 45 50 percent of the electorate on lock and then that Uh, at least in the the primary at least yeah in the primary in the primary that when he's honestly in the general too probably i'm prone to agree he's probably probably (laughs) gonna get about half uh that um yeah, DeSantis is actually like the the one who's losing because of all these these no-name guys jumping in the race and there, there's this limited market share, right, of people who are just like, I just, I'm tired of voting for Trump, or I don't, I never voted for Trump, and I don't want to. But not my words. Voted for him twice. Will happily vote for him again. Uh, but uh, there's there's a lot of people out there who are like, I, I just don't want to vote for him. And they were, I think, initially behind DeSantis, but then they're getting this whole laundry list of other candidates now, and. A few of them are all, are going to splinter off and go and back all these other candidates, and it's I it, it's starting to look like 2016 all over again, right? It really, Where, it really is. I think it, there's a better chance that uh, Tim Scott 
oh, uh, this is, you know, uh, this is probably a dumb take, but I would not be surprised if Tim Scott outperforms Ron DeSantis at at this rate uh, with how poorly DeSantis is doing, getting his feet off the ground. I I wouldn't be surprised. I I think, I think there is a lot more momentum. I think that, but about about Vivek, I think Vivek Vivek is going to get like third in two or three states and everybody's going to be like, Ooh, Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, he's the new guy. And then just kind of like, he's, 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 he's right wing. Andrew. He's right wing. Andrew Yang. I don't know if he's going to get yeah. third, but yeah. All right. Hey, um, Andrew Yang is the only, uh, the only Dem candidate that I actually went to go see in person in uh, the last uh, campaign when he came to Seattle. Uh, he did a, uh, he did a, like an, like a rally at this, actually it was really scenic, beautiful park in, um, Seattle called Gasworks. <laughs> and, uh, if, if anyone listening ever makes it out to Seattle and you can, you know, stomach the, uh, absolute filth, uh, that's all over the streets, uh, go to Gasworks park. It's actually a really nice park. And, uh, I went to a, a rally there where, uh, Andrew Yang was, uh, was speaking. It was, it was kind of like right at the peak of like the whole like Yang gang thing. Actually, you know, this is come to think of it. This is like within a like a a few days of when the affirmative action bake sale was this, these were i think both in may of 2019 that's like a breakneck and, uh, pace yeah it was it, it was pretty wild and um he uh like honestly he's become pretty cringe since and yeah. honestly at the time was still, oh, yeah. w- w- was still pretty cringe then but was at least kind of entertaining and he was the only one of the like the dems that i was like huh you know I just want to see him in person because he yeah. has something. He has something different to say. He's not just going to recite, you know, the uh, the magic words of the uh, the Democratic Party, like uh, diversity is our strength and orange man bad, and right. you know what everybody was running on in, in like the early part of 2020, uh, like pre COVID stuff. And um, he was actually yeah, interesting. So he was he was interesting. Like I, I was never going to vote for him, but he was interesting. He was a cool guy. He. Um, and actually, he was like, he was very personal too. He was like hanging out, talking to people. Uh, I, I don't quote me on this. I don't know for certain, but I think he had like was talking about wanting to like smoke a joint with somebody in there in the crowd too. So, you know, yeah, that tracks. He's, uh, he's when it comes to Seattle, he was a man of the people, but uh, it was a cool event. I think there's something too. Like, I don't get me wrong. I hate the idea of third parties, and I think the forward party is one of the stupidest things to happen in American politics in the last five years, but. I think the notion of like a centrist, so to speak, third party does have a lot of populist inspiration behind it, where it's trying to buck the establishment of both to get at the large swath of Americans who are pissed off at both. It's entirely quixotic, and there's no way it will succeed in the foreseeable future. And even the name is corny as hell, but... No, I, I, See, respect- I prefer the I'd prefer the backward party the, yeah, yeah. Uh, to the forward party, like the backward party. But I don't mean like the backward party of like go back to like, you know, like Boomer Reagan, not the return. I party. mean, like the way the way, way backward yeah. party. The that, that's Bowles, a, that's the party. The, I can Bowles, get party. The, the pre-Westphalia party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I think you make a really good point there with the um, that there is this sort of third part there's this energy that people really desperately want to channel into uh, a right. third party that is uh you know opposed to the establishment within the the dems and the republicans and i mean that's something that trump i think that yeah. maybe the greatest thing trump yeah. did 100%. was essentially reveal the the, the uniparty that i mean i mean there were people long, long before trump who had noticed this but that he really brought that to the to the mainstream where it became so painfully obvious that 
the majority of the Republicans and the Democrats agree on everything important. Yeah. Like, yeah, they'll 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 pick a handful of like really small inconsequential issues where they'll have really vigorous debate about like, oh, the marginal tax rate should be 37 percent or no, it should be 32 percent. And uh, but when it comes to actually like the really big issues like immigration and trade and war that like they agree on everything and yeah. it's not actually two parties. It's it's, it's the same party. And so that's regardless of how anything goes in 2024 and beyond and whatever happens with Trump, I think he'll forever be remembered as the guy who basically he, he's the guy who said the emperor has no clothes. He yeah. he yeah. revealed the true nature of the regime to a lot of people that otherwise were content to just continue voting left or right. right. And Trump is the only guy who can actually mount like sort of an anti-establishment thing because the problem with all of these anti-establishment parties like the forward party is that they're they're centrist but they're center left so they buy into all of the narratives about the oh the extremes on both sides and it's either critical oh, race yeah. theory That's or fair. you know white supremacy or whatever and, and there's nothing you know it winds up being like just regular sort of like 1990s democrat policies that are exactly the pe- the things that people don't want you know no it's valid yes yeah. UBI or whether it's, you know, you know, trade, um, trade protectionism, you know, those are, those are things that are not in the establishment mainstream, but when you buy the, the narratives, the framing of the mainstream media, which you do, if you're a center left party, you don't get that. And so you wind up out of touch and you don't go anywhere. Right. Um, no, and to circle back to like the whole, like people are pissed off at both parties point just in general. Uh, Coda Villa had an article in the American Spectator in like 2008 or 2010, I forget which, talking about Obama. It was definitely 2010 because he ran in 2008. In which it's it's about like the elites in general, just how much they, how they consolidate themselves as both a cultural class and a political class. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. It's yeah. an excellent article. It's a fantastic read. It's I keep I keep going back to it whenever I'm trying to get like inspiration to write columns. But um, he makes the point that the GOP, and I remember this specifically in a, from a Rush Limbaugh um, episode, "Rest in Peace," um, like right before he died. Where well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The um, the Coda Villip article mentions that most Republican voters don't actually like the Republican Party. They just support the Republican Party because it's not the Democrats. And in the Rush Limbaugh recording I'm uh, referencing, I, I really wish I could find a recording of it. I just forget what date I heard it on. Um, there's a man who's calling in about to break down in tears, and he's talking about how we voted for the Republicans because they're not them, them being the Democrats. And it might have been a January 6th related episode um, or a 2020 election related episode. This man is so distraught over the fact that Republicans at the institutional level are so unwilling to fight back, you know, aside from the contesting PA's um, certification. But this man was so heartbroken and just worn down and existentially tired by the fact that the Republican Party will not actually fight the cultural fights that Trump was elected to fight in 2016, that the Republican Party does not care about the interests of the actual Republican voter. And when you compare that to the Democratic Party, they know how their bread gets buttered. They walk in lockstep. They know that if you pay off student loans, they'll support you. They know that if you give them Juneteenth, they'll support you. If you build a statue to pederasty, they'll support you. And Amnesty, same thing. And, if you yeah. give them amnesty, they'll vote for you forever. Exactly. And it's 
it's really an unfortunate development that the Republican Party does not. I mean, I'm sure they do understand it in some like just instinctual level. You kind of have to because it's politics. Maybe they just don't care or they truly do have so much disdain for their voter where they don't want to give them that relief. They don't want to push for that cultural solvency. Um, it's very disillusioning. But at the same time, you know, with Trump's election in 2016, it was very invigorating because it finally showed, like you said, like you guys said, how to kind of punch back. It exposed if we get nothing out of if we get nothing out of Trump's legacy other than you know Roe being overturned, affirmative action being thrown out the door, and people now understanding the fact that how nefarious the Leviathan of the American government is. I would argue that in some ways that is a net positive, so long as we can keep moving forward in a positive direction. Yeah, there's this weird conventional wisdom on the right, even on even on like the sort of cynical dissident right who analyze the establishment that Republicans are only focused on campaigning on the issues they're never actually focused on solving the issues and that's something that that we need to realize that like yeah okay but when you solve the issues people vote for you so like you can't just sit there and be cynical and complain about how the establishment doesn't do anything you know you actually need to a get these people into power and b like cheer when they actually do something you know because that's how that's how your bread is buttered you you can win trump showed that you can fight these battles and you can win these battles and people will vote for you that's part of the reason desantis was so successful in florida is because he actually fought substantive cultural battles in addition to the long-standing economic fights um people don't uh, I'm, i'm actually i'm really happy you brought that up because uh i i assume you guys probably agree with me here that the whole Trump versus DeSantis influencer wars on Twitter are absolutely mind-numbing and they make me want to like rip my eyes out. I hate it. I hate it so much because listen, I like both the guys. I like Trump. I like DeSantis. If either of them are the nominee, I will happily vote for them. And you have uh, all the Trump people basically shitting on DeSantis all the time, saying like, oh, he didn't actually do anything as governor when he's like head and shoulders of the best Republican governor we've had in a, an incredibly long time. In decades. And then, yeah. And then the uh, but on the other side of it, you have these uh, the DeSantis shells coming out with knives out for Trump and anyone who still wants to vote for Trump basically saying like, Oh, you're like an uneducated rube and you're an idiot. And you, how could you ever vote for Trump? Like it's, it's, it's absurd that, I mean, in, in a perfect world, they could just get along and we right. could have a Trump DeSantis ticket. It was, Trump yeah. goes one there more turn and then we get eight years of DeSantis and it would have been, it would have been great, but we yeah, can't but have was, nice things. John, there was that time. I think you said it yourself. Yeah, there was that time last year because we had this argument. I remember um, Mike Anton, um, we, we were having this debate in like the last week of Publius and I was I swore up and down the walls and I made everybody mad because I said, you know, he was like Trump or DeSantis. And I'm like, both, you know, and it was it was right around that time that that there was sort of rumors going around that 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 deal had already been made for for them to work as, you know, to be on the ticket together. But and then very the credible sources, that one. Yeah. The the indictment rolled around. And that's just what ha- what happened is the indictment rolled around. The indictment came out and the establishment figured that they can get rid of Trump 
They can throw this guy who's who has a very good conservative, like actual winning record on conservative issues. Just throw him out there, grab the Trump base, and roll with it. And that was the DeSantis. That was the 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 calculation, you know. And Sam, you're looking at me, but you know this is the guy who's been backed by Jeff Rowe and Ken Griffin and all of the worst people in the party. So like, don't sit here tell me I'm wrong. I, I, I don't disagree with the fact that DeSantis has some donors who I very much disagree with on policy. DeSantis has DeSantis has campaign like the again the manager of his campaign is the strategic mastermind behind David McCormick, Josh Mandel, T.W. Shannon, like Jim Layman. This is the guy who tried to give us yes. Jim Layman. Are you kidding me? I, like, I I I was I was not actually aware of any of that. Um, but. I I I I, I want to stay out of it. I yeah. I, I don't want to uh, I don't yeah. want to I don't want to get involved in the uh, yeah like I don't the, I, the, I was, the influencer drama. I'm still critical of you know because because the, the the Trump takes the the Trumpist takes are all stupid. They're just dumb, you know, and they're just, they're just ignorant or you know they deliberately leave out stuff. But like the DeSantis shills are just vitriolic. I mean, conspiracy mm-hmm. theory level shit. You know, talking about how like. Again, not to bring up the same guy again, but like talking about how Rich Barris isn't a legitimate pollster because his polls say that Trump was ahead or because, you know, like he didn't call three or four races correctly or whatever. You know, there was a certain gentleman um, who is already embroiled in controversy may or may not have said a couple of days ago that insinuated that Carrie Lake was sleeping with Trump. Um, So it, it just like these people need like. I know we're we're trying to keep our powder dry as a as a as a podcast, but like this needs to fucking stop. I couldn't yeah. agree more, man. I couldn't I, agree more. And I gotta say, actually, especially in that like first week or two after uh after DeSantis announced and like you know it really took off. I feel like it's kind of died down a little bit, uh, other than some of the uh you know, particular drama that's come up over the last couple of days involving a uh a certain somebody the, the, the I want to I don't I don't want to disparage him because a certain been, somebody who is also another somebody maybe possibly yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually I, I was I was talking about somebody else here oh um, I'm, I'm oh, getting lost uh, here there's too much too much, too much we, uh, <laughs> this is too esoteric are we talking about are we talking about Brian Griffin or are we talking about Pedro okay stop 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 <laughs> stop, stop but no I I don't want to I don't want to disparage any of these guys personally but I really yeah. do think no. from a tactic standpoint the in the both the Trump and the DeSantis influencers need to shut the fuck up. Yes, it really do. I mean, it it's, really. It's, most of my like most of my genuine resentment towards the opposite side of the side I'm on comes from their fucking behavior. It's no, it's 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 terrible. I really, I really can't stand it. And what I was what I was trying to get at is that for like those like first two weeks when it was like really hot, the uh, the Trump versus DeSantis influencer beefs. I I I couldn't stand being on Twitter, and like half of my job is being on Twitter. Right. Yeah. And the like, I I couldn't I could not stand it. I had to mute like a bunch of the people that I've been following for years, and I'm like, all of a sudden, where you know you used to post interesting stuff, and now it's all just like this petty e drama shit, and I yeah. don't care. I don't know it. The 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 first primary is in what February. Yeah. We're 
eight months away. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. The first vote gets cast. I cannot take this for eight months. And then, like, primary season is still going to stretch another few after that. That, like, the convention's more than a year away. We won't. We won't even have a nominee for more than a year. It's right. it's ridiculous. Right. I I just can't take any more of the uh, the Trump versus DeSantis yeah, influencer. Like beef. being just, a journalist between March and like what was it like the last week of May when DeSantis actually announced was insufferable. Just not just being on Twitter, just like the you know the internal like just like the pitching and the stories that got you know published at my my former employer. Um, it, it just it was just obnoxious the the behavior that went on those 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 few weeks when DeSantis like pre-announced but wasn't actually kidding. yeah during like kind of like the soft launch like book yeah, tour yeah. kind of thing yeah the um the, I'm not a candidate I, I, we'll see when that you know we'll, we'll see what changes nah, yeah the um I don't know man I I just feel like no one has that. That that magic of 2016 no one, that uh, no. that Trump had no Trump no doesn't one. have it anymore. No. Trump no Trump, Trump doesn't have it. it anymore. Trump's lost it, but no one else no one else has picked it up. And no one in like, America no no it's, one in America. It's an entirely different country. It's an entirely different country than it was in 2016. It's yeah. no it's uh, no longer a matter of like it's it's like there there's an argument that could be made that securing like just building the border wall could have fixed the country in addition to some economic stuff in 2016. That's not the case anymore. Now it's an actual civilizational crisis about how the entire system of justice is being weaponized against former political against against the current president's chief political rival. It's an actual possibly republic ending election cycle, whereas in 2016, it was very much a. And I'm not saying this to disparage it, a very, a very grievance-based election. And that's not saying 2024 isn't grievance-based because, or 2020 wasn't either, because I think both certainly were. But 2016's grievance-based grievance was mostly, hey, you forgot about us. What the hell? We're still Americans. What about us? Whereas 2024. Yeah, don't, don't we get a say? Like, isn't this exactly, yeah. Yeah. Still, don't we? The, 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 does our voice mean nothing? And I mean, that's right. that's what Trump tapped into. Right. Um, and, but in so, 2024, the grievance is... Are holy crap! Are we going to have a country in 2026? Yeah, yeah. It's 2024 is very much like the only way out is total victory, and I don't think total victory gives guarantees us a way out either. No, but uh, total defeat guarantees us total defeat for sure. Yeah, like (laughs) yeah. Listen, total total victory is you know is only possible in the afterlife, but. You know, we have to try because no matter the impossibility, if we don't win, there we're fucked. <laughs> I'll see you if we if we if we don't win, I'll uh, I'll see you guys in the prison camps. Yeah, hot gulag summer, hot gulag <laughs> summer indeed. So, um, I guess uh, a little more twenty four uh, prognosticating. You guys think they're going to replace Biden? You think? Do you think, you think they're getting Newsom ready? I, I, it feels like it to me. Gavin really Newsom is the American Caesar, and that fucking terrifies me. Matthew McConaughey is the American Caesar. Let's get that straight. <laughs> no, 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 no. Both uh, one on who the person is, and two on uh, the role he's going to play. Hmm. If Newsom is anybody in a historical uh, analog, he is Sulla. 
He is the establishment's answer. You say Trump is basically Marius. He's the populist who came in, broke everything, and showed everybody that there's a new path to power. And it's not through the basically the traditional system of climbing the uh, the political ladder and, uh, you know, owing everybody a whole bunch of favors. And he just kind of broke down the door and got in. And uh, the establishment was pissed. And, you know, in, in Roman history, the answer to, uh, to that was the, the dictatorship of Sulla. Sulla came in and essentially, uh, I mean, there was a lot, it, it was a much more brutal time. There was like, you know, real like violent purging that they, uh, he, he came in and basically uh, said, screw that. We're going back to the way things were. The Senate is back in charge and uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to execute dictatorial power to make sure nobody like Marius ever comes back. And uh, so I think we're still, we haven't gotten to Caesar yet. Caesar's a little ways out, but um if Newsom is anybody, he's American Sala. Interesting. Okay. My two cents. It's, that's a thought. Um, but I'm or you could maybe even say we're we're even earlier in that cycle and Trump was, you know, uh Tiberius Gracchus and uh <laughs> that uh that's, we're that's still, mine, we still got as far as we, the Roman still Republic. Got, I, I think more and then we still then it means we still got another like century or two of uh right. chaos and civil war before we even get a Caesar. So boys oh no uh it might might be our uh, our grandkids or our great grandkids who see America it, Caesar. It, it won't be it won't be Gavin Newsom, but it won't be better. No, like <laughs> apart from the Roman Republic, I like the one I always go back to is like the 1830s, the, like the 1840s, really, because like the 1840s were absolutely fucking chaotic. And oh yeah, with the, with the year of revolutions, where literally everybody had. I mean, I mean here, I mean time. like when the sort of when when sort of slave ideology hit its peak. You know, and, you know, we had like the gag rule and, you know, all, all of that stuff going on. And, and the 1840s and 1850s were very much a time when there was an established power that had a certain view on a fundamental question of human nature and was doing everything it possibly could to suppress the, op- the opposing view of that view of human nature, despite and sort of rag and the, the opposition was sort of just ragtag, not fully well put together, maybe had one or two leaders, you, you know, it, and it is, I think we're literally right there, except on like the, the, you know, the fundamental human question is, can you own another person versus can you be another person? And I think that we're headed for a lot of the same issues that rose up in the 1850s and a lot of the same circumstances that may or may not lead to, um, I'm not going to say civil war, but definitely some sort of conflict. Civilizational conflict. Yeah, that's bigger than just politics. No. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly going to be the case. And now when you say... The uh the the kind of the moral question that be and the uh analog to slavery. Uh I mean some people would say it's abortion, and I think some people might say it's kind of a more broadly defined like cultural uh I, I guess the, the, these new laws that you're seeing in blue states like in, in the Wyoming in Washington, right? Where they transgender the, uh, sanctuary states. The, yeah, the, exactly the the, the 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 trans sanctuary where essentially the bodily autonomy argument, yeah. Exactly, where your kids can run away from home if they're in like some red state, and the uh, come here get their dick chopped off, right. and the state will it's, refuse to return them to their parents. Right. It's, it's, it's modern. That's kind of a modern day Missouri compromise. It's scary stuff, man. It's very much. I mean, it was evil with slavery. It's 
I would argue. I mean, obviously, abortion. I would is, argue this is pretty much just as evil. This yeah, is just if, as if, if if not more so because of the whole you know killing as the whole murder aspect of it. Right. Um, and the just the the deliberate mutilation and the foisting of it upon children. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's truly some barbaric stuff. I uh, I'll let you guys in. We're actually working on a um this piece isn't out yet, but we're uh boss and I are working on this piece about a uh uh. Uh, a hospital in Oregon where this doctor is on video bragging about how he's developed these robots that can do genital surgeries on children. So he's literally building robots to, you know, castrate children. I'm violently angry right now. I'm, I'm, it's, dude, this is no, oh, man. I hate the Antichrist. <laughs> it's uh it's it's taken every it, it takes every ounce within my body not to fed post i'm literally i'm literally on yeah. the verge of tears right now like that's just colossally fucked up and it's, the one that, that you know what got me was that american mind article from a couple weeks ago from the actual like transgender person who wrote what the um what actually happens during the surgeries and it was just so gorily detailed about what happens, and and then the the negative side effects and the the consequent the complications come out of it. I, I was I th- in the gym, literally in the gym, about to cry. I think that's I, I, as bad as that is. I mean, I think that's what it takes, honestly. No, it is. You know, I, I Sam, I think I've told you this story before, and I think I've actually said it on the show. Um, when I was in senior year of high school. Um, my religion class was mm, contemporary yeah. moral issues. Yeah. And um, they showed my, my teacher was the president and the principal and he was a priest and he showed us um, not only like a, like a 3d render of an abortion. He actually showed us the, like an ultrasound of the actual abortion procedure. And there were t- like 25 of us guys and girls, football players, and you know drama like it, it was a sampling of humanity there was not a single dry eye in the room we were literally all crying after we saw that video and we talked about it for like four hours that was the only thing that we talked about as a group was just what like reacting to what we had seen and that's what has oh, to happen and that's that's, you need that's to gory stuff, man. That's ugh. you need to crawl. Yes, you need to show people how evil this is, and you need literally need to traumatize them out of these ridiculous evil ideologies. And that's pro-abortionism. The, um, that's transgenderism. That's the lot. Yeah. The uh, actually uh, something that really hit me hard too is um, we had a uh, an interview we posted um, with a uh, a doctor who's uh, at one of these hospitals where they're doing this stuff to kids. And this wasn't even about the surgeries. This was about the, um, like the drugs, the, uh, the puberty blockers and whatnot. And he brought up a really interesting point that these drugs essentially, uh, looking for the right word here, but so there's a part of the brain, right. Called like the hypothalamus. And it, 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 it's broadly speculated. That is essentially the part of the brain that like makes you human. And that like it gives you your soul, so to speak, and allows you to basically appreciate beauty. And that like without it, you're it's like kind of like this like soulless automaton. And one of the side effects 
of these uh, these puberty blockers uh, is that it drastically reduces the function of this part of your brain, and it's it, you're, you're essentially and it, and it can be permanent. So you're, you're essentially hollowing these people out, and that they lose the ability to you know enjoy all the things that like bring that that, that, that make life beautiful. The, yeah. like whether it's you know enjoying uh impressive like uh, vistas in nature or architecture or uh it's just basically the, like aesthetic beauty and that that can just be permanently destroyed in these in these in these these children i mean and they're they're doing this stuff on kids who are like 11 12 years old and they're they're basically coercing the parents into doing it where they do this moral blackmail where they're like the, the classic, would you rather have a dead son or a living daughter? Right. And that, that they present them with this. And I mean, I, I, I do really feel sympathy for the parents in that case too, where like, I, I don't have kids of my own yet, but I, I can imagine if someone hits you with something like that and you know, you're just a regular, you're just a regular guy and you don't really know any better. You're not, I mean, you're not a doctor. You haven't, you, you haven't read up on all of the, the medical science. And if, you know, someone who, uh, and, and, and if you're a, still a blue pill, so to speak, right. And you are just willing to trust these people that you assume are in a position of authority, like a doctor, like, you know, in a sane society, right. You should be able to go to the doctor and trust that they are telling you the truth and that they're not manipulating you. They don't have some sort of like sinister agenda or right. some ideology that's motivating them to to lie to you. And that if you're put in that situation, right? Like I I could understand feeling basically trapped as a as a parent where, you know, this authority figure that you trust is telling you that if you don't do this, your kid is going to kill themselves. Like that's that that that's some really heavy stuff. So it's Ultimately, like, in, I mean, in, 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 but it's not true in every case. I mean, you, you see tons of this where it's uh, my armchair diagnosis of like, you know, Munchausen by proxy or like these BPD moms who are clearly, you know, manipulating their own kids into this and they they know what they're doing. Right. But I think there's a lot of essentially innocent, well-meaning parents who just trust these authority <laughs> figures when they have proven themselves over the last few years to be entirely untrustworthy i mean in the same honestly the same thing kind of applies with um the student debt problem where you have these young 16 17 18 year old impressionable kids who go to like their guidance counselor at school and they're basically telling them if you don't go to college and you don't take out like a hundred thousand dollars in debt you're going to be a failure in life and so they do it and they go get a degree and they realize it's worthless and they end up taking a job that they could have gotten straight out of high school without saddling themselves with a lifetime of debt. And it's because they trusted an authority figure that didn't actually have their best interest at heart. So to, to really come full circle, I mean, that comes back to the problem of we need better elites. And I mean, I don't know if you really consider like a guidance counselor, an elite, but in like a a sort of like a, it's a microcosm, right, right? For the, for the bigger issue at play where you have people in positions of power and authority that not only are, or in some cases they're incompetent, but in many cases, it's not just incompetence, it's malevolence. That they 
don't respect or even like the people that they are supposed to be watching over and the 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 the, the old sense of right noblesse oblige where like if yeah. you're to to borrow a term from the left if you're privileged i mean and and, and it's they've kind of corrupted that term to to mean something entirely different but privilege is very much a real thing yeah. and that like if you're in a position of wealth and power and authority that does come with privilege but it also should come with you know duty and responsibility and that you're essentially meant to look after people that can't necessarily take care of themselves for whatever reason i mean in many cases because you know they're they're children and children need authority and they need guidance they're vulnerable so exactly and it, it's it, it, it's basically it's predatory elites is is really the problem that i yeah. think all of this comes back to at the end so um we need we need better elites if we're going to fix anything i could not agree with that more and this is a dark turn can we finish with something lighter yeah but let's lighten it up a little so, bit. So before so we wrap up of, let's find a reason to be optimistic yes, let's go so speaking of your boss armin um this this story came across my radar uh, a couple of weeks ago. This retired teacher who I believe, um, I, I speculate um, based on internal information, and this may not may or may not be worth. Um, I don't want to dox, so maybe I won't say this. Um, she may or may not be from New Jersey. Um. Anyway, this this person um, called for uh the new college of florida administrators to be fired over the new mascot and she specifically singled out one christopher rufo um let me read a couple of these these pull quotes because they're awesome to anyone with even a cursory knowledge of racial stereotypes the new mascot should have set off alarms the board of trustees chose an altered mascot that depicts a tree that has been anthropomorphized to closely resemble an angry threatening brown individual <laughs> I can't. I can't even hear it without huh. marking up. Oh man! Oh, oh man! I, uh, ooh, I'm getting the cramp. Oh, this is great because it's. It, furthermore, uh, it it alleges she alleges that it it goes with the the Tarzan imagery um, that portrays black men as primitive natives and savages. And um, race-oriented memorabilia from the Jim Crow South. Sorry, I'm stretching because I I literally caught a cramp from laughing. No, no, we 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 all know you're just getting up to flex. You're just trying, oh, to, God. trying to make sure you can flex. God, it hurts. It God. hurts. It's so funny. It's literally so funny. It hurts. And she calls for for Ruth. Of course, she singles out Rufo because Rufo is the critical race theory guy. You know, he's the guy who brought CRT into the fore in 2020. And, you know, he's obviously a big influence on DeSantis's policies. And then DeSantis put him on the board of New College and um, it calls him for be to be removed from their position of influence. And Chris's response that he also published on Twitter was the funniest thing I've seen in like weeks. Uh, it still gives me a giggle. He goes, my advice for white liberals, if you see a tree and immediately think looks like a scary minority to me. You might be the racist. And it's just, the phrase scary yeah. minority is the funniest thing in the world <laughs> to me. 
No, I, uh, I, I mean, honestly, that when I when I saw that story come up, because I get Google alerts for all the stuff where uh, where he gets mentioned in articles. When I saw that story come up, I immediately had to check that it wasn't like a parody site or something, and that this was actually real. And I mean, it was just amazing. It, 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 it's all there, right? That you get this just like completely <laughs> deranged, like lib old lady who decides, right, that uh, aha. They, they, they must be secret, you know, Klansmen, white supremacists, racist because they made the tree brown. It's like, well, Literally, they, because it's, one, just, it's, it's a, a tree. Step outside. It's have you ever brown. seen a tree <laughs> yeah. that didn't happen to have a brown trunk? Maybe, I, you know, actually, no, I'm, I'm, there are some that have kind of like a whitish color to them. Sycamore too. trees. Exactly. Yeah, like a sycamore that there might be like a white tree out there. Now, if they'd made the tree white, I think she would have had not the same objection, but I think she would have objected to a white tree in, in, yeah. in, in a similar but, way. Yeah, but literally uh, because the tree was angry and brown and it's flexing and grimacing and that this racist. <laughs> no, and I think the, you know, the whole um, Dems are the real racist, the DR3 thing, I find very... Uh, very kind of pedantic and played out at this point, but sometimes it really... It really does ring true that the for anyone listening, look this up. Just Google New College of Florida mascot. You'll see it's basically a big banyan tree, which you know, like those trees they grow in the tropics. They they have a ton of like little trunks that kind of spin uh, go down. It's like a it's like a giant like overgrown ficus looking thing, like a mangrove. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the the mascot is this tree, and it's flexing its muscles. It's got like a you know like a a tough, like angry looking face on it. And I mean, it's brown because it's a tree and a normal, well-adjusted person would look at that and say, oh, okay. Yeah. There's a banyan tree on the campus that everybody likes. And they wanted to pick a mascot that, you know, fits the school. There were the, the mighty banyans that, 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 that is a perfectly fine mascot. But if you are a crazy national geographic too, Mm-hmm. Basically, if you're a deranged, uh, awful, for uh, lack of a better term here, affluent <laughs> white female liberal, you are going to look at this tree and immediately say, aha, the people who came up with that are racists. But I don't know if she knew this at the time. The, the, the mascot, it was not designed by the new president or anybody on the board. It was, it was a, a student had designed the mascot and won a competition. Yeah. So, and I don't actually know anything about the student. As far as I know, she it's a girl. Uh, as far as I know, she's just a, you know, a relatively normal college student who has a passion for design and was like, hey, I'm going to enter the, the mascot competition. So if anyone is going to uh, be accused of racism for drawing a, a tree that happens to be brown, I guess it would be her, but still incredibly unfair. Uh, but yeah, this, this, this woman is insane. And actually, I saw something... Um, today as well that kind of fits into this uh the the dr3 dems are the real racist thing is there was some woman i think she was like a former biden staffer who uh i'm gonna paraphrase i think but what she said is um in a colorblind meritocracy black people will never get into school or something like that yeah which i think i think that's like a i think that's a fake account to be fair erica marsh Mm, yeah okay maybe 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 i was maybe i was fooled but i, well, I saw i saw reputable people talking about yeah. it so i assumed it was it was I, potentially true. i think it's been playing the long game of like baiting people because mm. it, i don't think that person's real like if you if you do um 
like reverse image search, search searches, you're only going to find that one picture. Mm, okay, um, yeah. So, sus account. But again, right. Even even if, but it's what they believe. It's what they actually be, yeah. believe. It's what they actually believe, right? And it's yeah. this sort of, um, you know, this uh, the modern the modern iteration of the white man's burden, right? Where they have to, um, yeah. They have to the, the the white libs have to be the uh, the protector of the of, of all their various you know like pet minorities. So it's it, it, it sometimes it, it, the mask slips and it is really telling. But generally, I find the whole Dems are the real racist thing. Yeah, it's not my it's not my cup of tea. I don't think you're ever gonna you know win an argument on that. But sometimes it's just true, and you can't right. you can't ignore it. So. Oh. Uh, oh, and actually, the, uh, the the other funny little tidbit is, uh, I believe this woman's name who wrote the article is Robin Williams. Yes. Huh. <laughs> yes. Yes. Robin Williams. Robin right. Williams was actually reincarnated as a uh, an as awful an awful in uh, <laughs> in Florida. Robin Williams <laughs> is funny, but in a different way. <laughs> well, I guess on that note, uh, we will bring this to a close. Armin, it's been a delight having you. Absolutely, come back anytime, buddy. And where can people I'd find you? To, I'd love to. Uh, you guys can uh, find me on Twitter. I, uh, I have a small account. I uh, <laughs> may have, may or may not have had a uh, a bigger one in the past, but I can't I can't confirm that. But you can find me uh, on Twitter at not underscore Tolui, my last name, uh, T O O L O E E. And uh, I also just want to give a, a quick shout out that uh, during this conversation, I've been enjoying a uh, refreshing can of Zevia cream soda, which. I would like to officially declare the uh, the drink of right wing's uh, extremism. Let's go, baby! Love to hear it. All right, folks. We'll, right, we'll catch well, you next uh, time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, boys. No problem. Thanks for coming, King. Hey, folks. Hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to like and subscribe to Heavyweights Podcast on both YouTube and Rumble. Follow us on Twitter at heavyweights76, and the show is available for download on all major platforms as well. Hope to see you soon.